Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you here on this wonderful uh, Sunday morning. I'm happy to be with you today. I, as as he mentioned earlier, I'm a my name is Tim Sweet. I'm a professor at Grove City College. I bring you greetings from Grove City, which is a place that fosters faith and freedom in young people today. Um, I'm happy to uh, have had such a warm welcome from our our staff here at First Alliance and from Pastor Harris and for the opportunity to share God's word with you today. I love the theme of uh, superheroes. I was really excited to hear that that was the theme of this series, not just because I believe it's a great way to unpack some scriptural truth and to bring to bear some very practical applications of, of faith and, and hope, but also because I am a big fan of superheroes and superhero movies, uh, especially the ones that have been coming out over the last 20 years. We saw some of these on the bumper video a few moments ago. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, if you're from the, the DC uh, universe. And then, of course, there was uh, the Hulk and Captain America and Thor from the Marvel universe, you name it. In this uh, age of advanced CGI, uh, computer-generated graphics, the classic characters of comic books have come alive in a way that I never would have thought possible when I was growing up. I could have only dreamed about this as a child. In fact, when I was five years old, my favorite superhero was, far and away, Superman. Not the Superman on the left, not the CGI-enhanced Henry Cavill Superman, but the Superman on the right, the low-tech, awkwardly standing George Reeves Superman, right? And yet, I was inspired by Superman, that Superman. Oh, I wanted to fly in the worst way. I dreamed about flying. My grandmother made me a Superman outfit, and I wore it to school not on Halloween. <laughs> I even made an attempt to fly. I had a dog. She was a German short hair pointer. And I tied a towel around her neck. <laughs> Here I am in my Superman outfit, along with my dog. And we had this pool and it had a deck on it. And there was about a six-foot drop-off off the back of the deck. And together, my dog Heidi and I flew. <laughs> For a moment, I was Superman. She was Superdog. We defied gravity. Though I'm pretty sure my trajectory was mostly straight down. How many of you have ever had a dream in which you were flying? All right? See, some of you want superpowers as well. What if we were faster than a speeding bullet? What if we were more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? What if we had superhuman abilities that would allow us to transcend the limits of our existence, that would allow us to overcome the pain that is inherent and inevitable in life? What if we had those abilities? If only we could do this. Or can we? 
As I was thinking about picking a scripture and a topic for today's superhero series, I considered a couple of different options along the way. I thought strength might be a good one. Every superhero has some kind of super strength, some superpower, or maybe the biblical companion to that, which is strength out of weakness. We could have gone with that topic. I also thought about bravery and courage in the face of overwhelming odds. I think scripture could have taken us down that path as well. But the more I thought about it, I began to ask, well, what is what is it really that all superheroes and heroes have in common? Is there one central idea, perhaps most important characteristic that all superheroes possess? And then it hit me. It's hope. The most important quality of any true hero or superhero is hope. True heroes are people who live in hope, who inspire hope, and who share hope with others. And so today I'm going to be reading from a passage out of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, which focuses our minds on the power of hope. Romans 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that is God, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. You know, one of the worst feelings in the world is the feeling of hopelessness. Would you not agree? When people don't have hope that things cannot change, that things will not change, won't ever change for the better. As the book of Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hopelessness can be a sickening feeling, a feeling of loss, of being lost, a gut-wrenching, emotional, psychological, spiritual kind of nausea. No matter whether we're talking about a relationship or a career or our health, When we don't have hope, what do we have? We have anger, we have lostness, we have unfulfilled longing, despair, a whole messed up bag of negative emotions. Hopelessness can hit us at any point in life, can it not? Uninvited, unwelcome, unrelenting, unmistakably painful. How many of you know someone who has lost hope? And maybe they're going through that right now. They just don't see a way out or a way forward. At times we may even look in the mirror ourselves and say, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm right at that point. 
myself? Or how many people do we walk by every day at the mall, at school, at our place of work? They may not voice it. They may not show it on their face. They may not give you any clue about what they're going through. But they're feeling desperate. They are feeling hopeless. They've internalized it, and they don't see anything good in their future. The fact is that God wants something much better for us, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to succumb to hopelessness. He wants us to be people of hope, people who cherish hope, who live in hope, who share hope with others, no matter what we're going through in our lives. And so as we begin to think about Paul's words about hope this morning, I'd like to ask a few questions to kind of guide us uh, through this scripture and to bring out some things that may be helpful to you uh, today on this Father's Day. First question is this, how important is hope in your life? Sometimes we don't think a lot about it, but it really is something we don't want to take for granted. We don't want to underestimate it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. It's absolutely critical. Just listen to the way we talk about hope. Don't we use very strong language to describe the role that hope plays in our lives? Absolutely. For example, when we talk about the absence of hope, we say, right, I've lost hope, or hope is nowhere to be found, as though it's a valuable, treasured possession, something that can be lost, or worse, broken. How often do you hear people say, my, my hopes were crushed, all my hopes were dashed, as though it was a, a porcelain vase that simply shattered on the ground at a moment's notice. But is real hope really that fragile? We sometimes think of it as a fragile sort of phenomenon. Or what about when we talk about hope being restored? What do we say? Hope will survive as though it's a living entity. Do we have any Cavaliers fans in the house, like Cleveland Cavaliers fans? Just curious. I know you're kind of close to Cleveland. Are there any Cavaliers fans? In Pittsburgh, we were kind of rooting for the Cavaliers. We don't have a basketball team there, but we have a football team. I don't know if you've heard of it, the Pittsburgh Steelers. We don't root for the Browns there. But how many of you were rooting for the Cavaliers, right? To the very last moment of the game, Whoa, yeah. You know, hope can be kind of a living, breathing sort of thing. We try to keep hope alive. So whether we talk about hope as a cherished, fragile possession or a living thing, our language speaks volumes about how important it is to us and how vital it is to everyday existence. I think there's two reasons why Hope is so important. One, it affects all of life, affects every decision we make, every moment, every choice we make uh, is affected by the amount of hope and the kind of hope we have. When you have hope, you have a positive belief in your future, a fundamental sense that things can and will get better. Your whole attitude, the choices you make are governed by that. You can confidently put one foot in front of the other and move forward no matter how tough life is. We take action today based on the hope we have for tomorrow. Without hope, there's no vision of tomorrow. Here's another reason it's absolutely vital. When people don't have hope, they react in very unhealthy ways. Life tends to disintegrate when we don't have hope. For example, anger, right? 
Sometimes people who struggle with hopelessness also struggle with anger, simply a symptom of the hopelessness that's in their hearts. Having no hope for a marriage may lead to fighting or angry isolation. Um, Look at some of the folks living in our cities who are just are struggling with hopelessness. Uh, The whole Middle East is on fire, aflame with anger in part because of of the hopelessness of life. And uh, that radicalism feeds off that hopelessness. Or sometimes it results in despair. A few years ago, I visited a student, a young student of mine who was in the hospital. He'd taken a few too many pills. And I wondered what was it that took him to the point of feeling so desperate at this young age in his life. Sometimes it's numbness, right? People just, they just back away. They, they feel numb. They, they, they sequester themselves. They distance themselves. They stop communicating and they shut people out of their lives. I think one of the most common reactions to hopelessness is escape. One of the biggest responses, people want to run from situations, from relationships, from commitments. We live in a culture that is plagued by drugs and alcohol. You probably know people who have been touched by substance abuse. How many of you know of a family that has been touched by the opioid crisis in our cities, in our towns? It's not just the the cities. It's the, the small towns. It's the villages. It's the rural communities are all facing this. People are feeling hopeless. And what about the teen suicide rate? We hear about it all the time. It's increasingly um, a a big problem. Even in our news recently, we've heard of some very high-profile people. What was it that brought Anthony Bourdain to a point of total despair? What was it that took Kate Spade to the point of wanting to exit this world so suddenly? These are people who seemingly had everything from a world's perspective, and yet they did not have hope. God doesn't want us to be hopeless. Sometimes we ask, you know, why is it that, that people in our world are seemingly increasingly hopeless? We think about it. In our culture, our culture has has pushed God to the margins. Our culture has tried to make you think that, that believing in God and placing your faith in Christ is just a, a fairy tale, that it, that it doesn't do you any good, that it's a myth, or that it's biased and bigoted. Is it any surprise we live in a culture now where people don't have hope? Their only hope is in what they see and feel and touch. It's this earth, this world. You take away eternal perspective. Of course we're going to see an increase in hopelessness. It's a natural result of that. But God wants something more for us. He wants us to move in the direction of having an authentic, Christ-centered hope that sustains us through the difficult times, that isn't fleeting, that is not temporary. So that raises my second question. What is real hope? From a biblical perspective, what is real hope? Well, sometimes people think about Hope as a, as a wish or a longing, some kind of vague or ill-defined wish. For example, I could say, um, I, I wish that we would have um, a milder winter in Erie. Now, I'm from western New York near Buffalo, so I can make fun of you, right? We, well, we have it bad there, right? 
We can wish that. It's kind of a wish or a longing. We, we don't think it's actually going to be true, but we wish it were different. Others describe hope as a feeling. I once heard someone say, hope is the feeling you got that the feeling you got ain't permanent. Right? So it's kind of a feeling. There's something to that. Others think about hope as a kind of perseverance. There was a little boy. He was uh, going to bed at night. His dad had tucked him in. He said, stay in bed. Don't come out. Good night. A few moments later, from the other room, Dad, what? Can I have a drink of water? No, son, you had your chance. Lights out. Go to sleep. Dad, could you please bring me a drink of water? Son, this is the last time I'm telling you, go to sleep. And if you do it again, I'm going to punish you. Dad, when you come in to punish me, could you bring me a drink of water? Hope has a persevering element to it, right? True hope perseveres in the face of odds that are against us. No matter whether we think of hope as a longing or a feeling or even some sense of perseverance, all of which are true to some extent, the Bible tells us that hope is so much more than that, so much more profound, so much deeper, so much more inextricable from the life of faith and from the redemptive work that God is doing in our hearts and lives. So what does the Bible say about hope? We're going to focus a little bit on what Paul's talking about here, but the Bible says a lot about hope. First thing it says is this. There is a necessary relationship between faith and hope. Faith and hope go together. They are two sides of the same coin. Uh, Hebrews 11, you perhaps know the scripture, faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hope and faith, they go together. Or 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, but now faith, hope, love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. So in the triad of Christian values, hope is right up there with faith and love. It's that important. We need faith in Jesus in the context of a personal relationship with him or we cannot have authentic hope. Anything else is temporary. It evaporates very quickly. Second thing Scripture says about hope is that there's a necessary relationship, ironically, between suffering and hope. How many of you love suffering? We we like to... Do you really like suffering? Okay, all right. That's good. You're going to like this Scripture. So... Not only this, Paul says in Romans 5, but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And here in Romans 8, Paul comes back to this idea of the connection between suffering and hope. In fact, a contrast. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. There's no comparison whatsoever. This then is the thought of Romans 8, 18. Hope is strengthened ironically through suffering. In fact, it is made more powerful through suffering 
And it's the Holy Spirit who works all that out in our lives. The third thing that Scripture says about hope is that there is a cosmic dimension to hope. It's not just about our personal hope. Hope is so much bigger in God's grand scheme of things. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Even the creation, the earth, the sun, the moon, the entire cosmos is hoping for our redemption. The earth, the world is rooting for us and awaiting eagerly as a mother awaits the birth of a child. The redemption of God's saints, and not just our redemption, our salvation, but our physical resurrection. That's what Paul's talking about, the ultimate salvation in the power of the resurrection. We are part of a much bigger process called new creation. No doubt many of you are familiar with 2 Corinthians 5, which says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a what? New creation, you know that scripture. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New creation begins now in our hearts, in faith. We have been spiritually raised up with Christ, Jesus said, or Paul says. We have been raised up with him spiritually. We've all, you guys got so excited when we were singing about resurrection. Boy, I heard a lot of, a lot of great singing and worship going on here. Resurrection is, is future, but it is also now. That new creation has already begun. It's a promise of what is to come. And then one of my favorite passages in the New Testament from Revelation 21, there's something more coming. Paul, uh, the, the author of Revelation said this, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what, praise the Lord. That is, that's what the creation is waiting for. Our ultimate redemption, the time when we will be together with God in resurrected glory, no more pain, a new heaven, a new earth. True hope is cosmic in its scope. And the fourth thing the scripture says about hope is that has, it has an eternal character. Paul says it right here in Romans 8. Not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that down payment of what is to come. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved. Our hope is not just for this life, but it is rooted in our future redemption, God's promise of resurrection. And so here again, it's the Holy Spirit who does that beginning work in us. 
And as such, real hope is truly spiritual. It is eternal. It is supernatural by its nature. And so here's Paul's logic. Suffering we have, we can't even begin to compare that to the glory that God's going to give us. We, we are eagerly waiting for this. Even the creation knows this and is encouraging us and rooting for us. And so why wouldn't we hope as well? And on top of this, God's given us help. He's given us the spirit to help us through this. And even when we have no words to say, even when we have no words to pray, even when we are at the, the absolute end of our rope, there is hope. And the spirit himself takes over and prays within us with groanings too deep for words that are beyond our comprehension. The entire cosmos hopes the Holy Spirit hopes. So why wouldn't we grab onto that eternal cosmic hope? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. The kind of hope we have in Christ is not fragile. It is not fleeting. It is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on your career or your health or your relationships or how well things are going in your life. You can have hope no matter what the circumstance, no matter how difficult, how tough, how ill, how dysfunctional life becomes. We can have hope in him. And that is a supernatural power. So my third question is this. How do we become true heroes of hope and tap into that supernatural power? First, I believe we are called to live in hope as believers, people who follow Jesus. We are called to live in hope. Like any superhero who believes that things can change, who believes that any situation is reversible, who believes that hope is always at the doorstep. So we as believers are called to live in hope consistently. And yet, even for us as believers, how, how easy is it for us to put our hope in the wrong places? We may know it in our minds, but to really, really put that hope in the eternal power of God can sometimes be a challenge. Sometimes we put our hope in wealth or material things. Sometimes we put our hope in other people. Sometimes we put our hope in our, in our own ability to pull ourselves out of difficult circumstances. But when we put our hope in anything or anyone other than the Lord himself, we are bound to be disappointed. That kind of hope does not and cannot last. A couple of years ago, I was driving with my family uh, late at night. It was about 10 o'clock at night. We went out for ice cream to a favorite ice cream place that we have down in in Butler County. And uh, my wife was with me, my son, one of my daughters and and her new husband. And we we all went out for ice cream. And then we were driving back on this kind of remote road. We were driving downhill, and all of a sudden, I started to hear this noise. The right front tire all of a sudden decided to go flat. 
And so I said, okay, I wasn't driving. My wife was driving. I said, let's just kind of ease, ease down. Let's kind of get to a flat spot because we were on a, uh, on a descent. So let's get down here to this, this flat spot. Maybe we can change the tire. And so my new son-in-law was very eager to show me um, his abilities in this area. And so together we, um, we got the donut spare tire out of the trunk and uh, we were able to get that baby on uh, pretty quickly. And then uh, the moment of truth, we let the, um, let the jack down. My spare tire was flat. Now, I had just bought this car six months previous. And I was a little angry. How could this dealership sell me a car with a flat spare tire? What? You've got to be kidding me. So here we are out in the middle of nowhere. And we all, so like, okay, let's get on our cell phones. Let's see if we can call some people. We didn't have cell service. When I say nowhere, we were nowhere. And, and I realized we had about a mile, mile and a half to walk either direction to go uphill to get some kind of cell service. So this was late at night. It's like 1030 at night. It was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And I'm really angry at this dealer who sold me this car. Well, wasn't more than maybe a minute later, this car comes down the hill. I'm like, oh, thankfully, please stop, please stop, please stop. The car pulls up and stops, and the window goes down. And I hear a voice out of the darkness. Tim? Tim, is that you? I said, Howard? It was the owner of the dealership who sold me the car. The dealership happened to be about four miles away, so he um, he said, get in, we'll take it back. We pumped up that tire, and we were on our way. How quickly we lose hope, and how quickly sometimes we are reminded that God can do anything and can change our circumstances independent of our thinking and independent of anything we can do ourselves. In that moment, God reminded me through a rather dramatic twist of irony that he is in control and that I should put my hope in nothing less than him alone. We are called to be people who live in hope every day, every moment, in every circumstance. Secondly, I think we're called to be people who inspire hope in others. If we live in hope, we will naturally inspire hope in others. That's the way heroes and superheroes tend to work. People all around us want, they really want to have hope in their lives. People you work with, people that are in your family, people that are your neighbors, strangers that we talk to every day at the convenience store or at the local mall, they may not always know where to find it. And they may have looked in all the wrong places throughout their lives. But we as people of faith can be heroes of hope and have the opportunity to inspire it in others. For 13 years, I was a pastor at a church in Bakerstown, Pennsylvania. One of the big celebrations we would have was at the time of of Palm Sunday. And what we would do, we had a a church about this size and um, we had kind of a big platform area in the front with some stairs leading down. 
And every Palm Sunday, we would bring the kids. We had a couple hundred kids uh, on any given Sunday. And they would they would come right through the, the main area. We had them, like a back door, we had them parade down through, waving palm branches, and there was music, and it was a, a big celebration. And uh, I knew a lot of the kids, so I was high-fiving them and, and talking to them on their on their way into the sanctuary. There's kind of a river of children moving down to the center of the church. And um, for some reason that day, the kids all had name tags on. And there's this little girl coming down. I didn't recognize her. And I, I said, hello, Angela. She looked at me, kept walking, walking down the aisle, just looking back at me. What? And we carried on with our celebration and our children's parade, and the time came for the kids to exit. They all started coming down the aisle again. I'm high-fiving. They're waving palm branches. This little girl, I can see her about 20 yards away. She's just staring at me. She came, came up, and I said, Goodbye, Angela. She just looked at me. Thank you, Jesus. I had a robe on, a black robe, and she thought I was the Jesus she was learning about in Sunday school. If only, if only people would recognize Jesus in us when we're not trying. Everyone we meet has a deep need to hope in something beyond this world. Will they see it in us? Will we inspire them to deepen their search? And thirdly, I believe we are called upon to actively share hope with others in word and in deed. Today's Father's Day. Um, I trust that many of you are having an opportunity to have celebrations with your fathers, if you are fortunate to still have them in your life. Um, This is the first Father's Day for me where I will not have that. My dad passed away this past February. He lived in western New York. I grew up in a place called Gowanda, New York, just north of here. And um, we had a very nice service of remembrance for him at that time. But the weather was so bad at the time that we didn't actually have a committal service or an interment for his ashes. And so today, immediately following um, the service, I'll be traveling up to western New York to be with my family and to do um, an interment and a committal service at the graveside for my dad. And um, there will be people there, um, about 20 or 30 people will be coming to this, some of whom are believers, but many of whom are not. And so I decided today I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to speak words of truth and hope. We sang about the resurrection here, moments ago. And today I'm going to share words of resurrection with these folks. A lot of people think of cemeteries as a final resting spot. But I'm here to tell you and I'm here to tell them today, this is no final resting spot. This is just a temporary place. There's nothing final about death. There's something very temporary about it for those of us who believe in Christ and who know that he is coming back again and that we will be raised up with him. 
that we will have eternal life with him, not just spiritually, not in just some cloud and playing a, a harp in heaven. It's, it's all about a physical resurrection in the context of a brand new creation. That's the kind of hope we have. That's the kind of hope I want to share in word today. God will pe- put people in your life and you'll have a chance to share that hope with them. Don't let that moment go by. Seize the moment and share the hope that God has put in your heart. And also to do it in deed, not just with words, but with deeds. When I was in ministry, one of the things we liked to do were um, uh, acts of service in our community, acts of kindness. And we would do all kinds of funny things in our community. We'd wash windshields in a giant eagle parking lot for free. We would uh, rake leaves. We would uh, have free car washes, really free car washes. And um, one of the things, one of the stranger things, the bolder things we did, I would sometimes um, go to local businesses to wash toilets for free. Yeah. How many of you would go with me if we did that? I bet I could get a couple of you. So I got a couple of my friends and I said, I got some cleaning supplies together. And we would just show up at stores, like small businesses. And we walked into this video store. You don't even see video stores anymore. But we walked into this video store. I said, hi, we're here to clean your toilets for free. (laughs) And the girl behind the counter said, you're here to what? I said, we're here to clean your toilets for free. She said, oh, well, they're over there. And so we went and did our work, and about 10 minutes later, we came out. And I could see that as she came around the counter, she was holding on to the counter, gripping it rather tightly. And she said, now, who are you people, and why are you here? And I said, well, we're from the Bakerstown Presbyterian Church. Uh, We came to clean your toilets for free to show you God's love in a practical way. And she said, oh. And then she started to cry. Tears were coming down her cheeks. She said, you know, my boss makes me do that job. And I was diagnosed with MS a few years ago. And it is the hardest thing I have to do in my job. And you guys came along and just did it. After all, it's not every day that three angels show up and clean your toilets for free. When we act kindly to others, we open up a window of hope for people to see the supernatural to see that there's something else at work going on, that that we have a living God with an eternal perspective who wants to share that eternal hope with all of us, no matter what suffering people are going through. If we act kindly and do nice things for people, kindness, serving them with our whole hearts and simple acts of service, God will show up. And he will share that hope with them through our deeds. People want to have hope. They may not have it. They may have very little that the world has given them. And what the world has given them, sometimes it takes away very quickly. 
without a cosmic perspective, an eternal perspective on hope. People are lost. But we, I believe, in our time, in our day and time and culture, have an unprecedented opportunity. We look out at the world, we say, it's a crazy world. There's so many crazy, just watch the news for 10 minutes, right? People get despondent about that. I say, from from a faith perspective, it is an unprecedented opportunity for believers to share our hope the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a way that we have never had before in our world because people recognize true hope when they see it and we can do that. It's supernatural power at our fingertips to live in hope, to inspire hope, and to share our hope freely with others no matter where, no matter when, no matter what. Friends, it's been great being with you today. May you all have a happy and hopeful Father's Day. Please pray with me. Lord God, we are so thankful for your love. And we are thankful that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and to rise again on our behalf, that we would have new life in this world and in the next. We look forward, Father to the hope of resurrection. We place our trust in you, Lord, and we ask you to help us to have eyes of faith, to see the people in our lives that need to experience that same kind of hope. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we lift up the name of Jesus to you, in whose name we pray. Amen.